0: I was one of those annoying kids that said that they were going to be an entrepreneur from day dot.
1: Your experience and what you're bringing into the startup world is something that I think is going to be really valuable for our listeners. You're helping migrants and people that wouldn't have access otherwise. Now, that sounds like quite a big problem to solve.
0: There's over 500 million people around the world who are underutilized. And yet on the flip side, over 90% of businesses are struggling to find the right talent.
1: Do you see any other areas that you think are sort of pros and cons of going for angels versus institutional investment early on?
0: would really, really recommend to any startup, to be honest, to really consider angels above VC, I would even go as far as to say Ooh. when you're early stage.
1: Funny because I hear that sentiment quite a lot.
0: If you build a commercially viable business and a company that can scale sustainably, your ability to touch more lives then becomes limitless.
1: Holly, welcome, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. Here. Thank
0: you. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me.
1: Just before we started, I think our listeners want to hear this because I'm, I'm in uh, Abu Dhabi at the moment, and we're just talking about the weather uh, and how it's gr- the grey skies of London behind you there.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I was just complaining about the temperature. Classic Brit first thing you start any conversation with, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, we wouldn't be British if we didn't do that at the start of the conversation. So I think we have to. We have no choice, really. But I yeah. was actually saying how I miss it. Funnily enough, I miss the grey weather, um, which, you know, not rubbing in the fact that I've been enjoying the sunshine, I've definitely been loving it and I wouldn't change it right now, but I, I do miss the grey, cold weather of London. So, um, so yeah.
0: Each, each to their own.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, Holly, it's really great to have you here. We've been meaning to have a conversation, uh, bring you on and have a chat. What you're building at NIA is incredible. Um, also just, you know, you're someone who's, this isn't your first rodeo with startups. Um, you've come from a, an investment background as well, um, sort of like on the accelerator investment side and moved into the startup world. You've done nonprofit stuff in the past as well. You've worked in nonprofit organizations um and the work that you're doing at the moment is something that has a huge impact now i'm not going to tell you a story for you of course we're going to talk about that but just wanted to highlight that you know your experience and, and what you're bringing into the startup world and, and what you have going into it is something that i think is going to be really valuable for our listeners uh today so thank you for making the time for this no really of
0: good. course yeah i hope it can be value.
1: absolutely and happy two-year anniversary so for those listening it is two, two years at naya right
0: yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, when was it? Day before yesterday, I think. So we had a little mini celebration and I joined the same day as our head of community as well. So um a bit of a joint affair, which is great.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Wow. Well, congratulations. Congratulations on that two years on. How how's it going? How are things at Naya? Tell tell our listeners about the company as well and what you guys do.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, things are going really great, I think. Um we had a big obviously start of the new year, so last week we were kind of Coming together, realigning, making sure that we're all in it for the same reason um, and also kind of on track um, and obviously kind of working towards really ambitious goals this year um, in terms of kind of what we are and why we exist. So NAYA is a career management platform um, basically on a mission to make it as easy as possible for refugees, migrants. Um, and other unconnected people to pursue their kind of dream career Um, and we do that by unifying networking training and job opportunities into like just a single marketplace Um, and then we use AI to match people to the right skills people and job opportunities um, that kind of match with their given kind of stage of their career and their career aspirations um so yeah that's what we do um we've been up and running actually for three years um so a bit of a plot twist in that i came in after the first year um (laughs) but the whole business um and the whole team are motivated more than anything um around the impact that we're having and the people that we're supporting so yeah it's a it's a great working environment and would not want to be doing anything else
1: That's incredible. I mean, I know you do work to make sure that it's a great work environment for the team and we'll definitely get into that later as well. I think there's a a lot of lessons that people can learn from here. Um, A little bit around sort of Naya and your mission, what you're doing. So you're helping migrants and people that wouldn't have access otherwise. Now that sounds like quite a big problem to solve because you know, sometimes um, from sort of reading the news and looking around, there can be skills gaps and there can be a whole bunch of other reasons as to why people may struggle to take up a new job In a new environment in a new country or whatever um, and kind of know how to navigate that world Um, can you talk to us a bit about some of the stuff that you do to kind of help them around that stuff
0: yeah definitely um it's interesting that you mentioned the skills gap because essentially that's kind of the much bigger problem that we're trying to tackle um so when you look at the sort of labor market on a more kind of holistic level um there's over 500 million people around the world who are underutilized which means that not only that's including obviously those who are unemployed, um, but it's also people who are in jobs that perhaps aren't fully utilizing um, their skill set, um, and perhaps are kind of capping their pay grade as a result. So huge numbers of people, and yet on the flip side, um, it's you know there's some crazy stats that would suggest over 90% of businesses are struggling to find the right talent. So if the talent is out there then why is that this kind of mismatch and ultimately um, a really big reason for that is that there's a lot of communities and people out there who don't have the right access to opportunity, who don't have um, the right networks and people that can support them on their journey, who don't have access to the right education and training um, and obviously each of those kind of elements are really key to someone in kind of moving forward in their career. Um, so at the kind of broader level. It's obviously a a global problem, but we know by zooming in and working really closely with um, migrant communities as a starting point and other kind of low income groups um, in and around London predominantly, then we can start to actually bridge that gap um, and essentially use technology to, rather than kind of proliferate the inequalities um, in the labor market, actually start to close that gap and make it easier for people um, to advance.
1: Wow. and I guess you touched on technology as something that because AI is obviously there's a big fear around AI potentially taking away jobs and making things worse for people and making things harder for people who are you know under um underutilized um is is that would that be the right term to use by the way underutilized?
0: Yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of different terminology around it, right. um, but we we tend to run with underutilized. Um,
1: uh-huh.
0: Yeah, it seems to resonate it with sense. most of our audience.
1: This episode is brought to you by Ecoswap. Ecoswap is bringing together the UK's favorite eco-friendly high street brands onto a single gift card, allowing you to give the gift of choice, where your loved ones can choose from brands such as The Body Shop, Rituals, Toast Brewing, The National Trust, and many, many more. And our gift to our listeners is 10% off your first purchase with Ecoswap when you use the code GOODFORPROFIT at checkout. What sets Ecoswap apart is their commitment to sustainability and ethics. They meticulously curate their brand selection, ensuring that each one meets rigorous standards set by esteemed certifiers such as B Corp, 1% for the Planet, Climate Neutral, or they're a UK registered charity. With EcoSwap, you're not just giving a gift. You're choosing to support the UK's best brands that are genuinely committed to benefiting both people and planet. So go ahead, give an EcoSwap gift card today. Visit ecoswap.uk and use the code goodforprofit at checkout. That's good for profit with no spaces for your 10% off your first order today. Yeah, yeah, of course. And 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 I mean, so around that, yeah, there is obviously a fear that AI is gonna make things even worse for everyone and so on. But obviously, on the contrary, you're using AI to actually help with that. Um so as far as I understand, it you you don't just help get people into jobs, um, you actually help people get into training and, and so on as well, right? How have yeah. you found the kind of the uptake from the, the training side? Because obviously there is a, a big need, a big demand in the market from the, um, from the demand side. I don't know which way, which part you call supply and demand. So the, you tell me which one you call which and, and we'll roll with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So we refer to Palin and um, so our users as supply and then demand coming from the employer side or training providers.
1: So, from the supply side, we know that there is yeah. obviously a real need for this. Um, from the demand side, how have you found the uptake to be? How have you found the appetite to be in in sort of in in, the, in the, across different industries in general?
0: Yeah, of course. So, um, on the the demand side, if, if we just look at, I guess, jobs as kind of the the first point of call, um, ultimately, most organisations know that the the secret to a high performing team is the people in it. Um, and obviously, you know, companies have become increasingly aware that di- there's a real kind of business case for diversity and inclusion and actually bringing in greater representation into your teams can help to advance your performance um, towards your kind of goals. So I think one thing that we've really seen in the last couple of years is businesses um, starting to look beyond their kind of traditional sourcing channels outside of you know, LinkedIn and relying on um, existing employee referrals to actually source talent. So a lot of companies right now, for example, will actually be establishing partnerships with, um, you know, local youth groups, with, um, say, a refugee charity, different organizations who are providing frontline support and actually able to reach those uh, candidates. However, the way that NIA works is so we partner with all of those same charities and social enterprises and communities to actually aggregate this network of unconnected talent. So rather than businesses having to build one-off relationships with individual partners, instead through signing up to NAYA, they are directly connected to the end user that could potentially be a really good fit for their actual role. So trying to basically streamline this ecosystem and make it as easy as possible for organizations that want to tackle social mobility and support unconnected talent to actually do that work because currently a lot of it exists in silos um, and it's exactly the same with with training providers as well. So there are a lot of companies who actually offer free skills training, um, especially in the kind of digital and tech space, who would offer that training out to unconnected talent. Um, but the, the challenge is, again, in actually sourcing that talent and then getting an understanding of whether or not their training programs are actually helping to mobilize people into long-term employment. So again, by bringing those stakeholders into Nia's platform um, and attaching kind of data tracking, it means we have a much mm. more complete picture of what is helping um, the people most in need and how they're actually, um, you know, slowly advancing in their careers.
1: Wow, that's brilliant. Are you, are you at a stage yet where you have enough data that you're able to kind of draw trends and look at sort of More on a more macro level, kind of look at different industries and see insights and things like that? Are you you sort of at that stage yet?
0: I would say we're scratching the surface. Um, Not enough to kind of start generating big reports around it, but the insights that we're seeing turned out are super valuable, even in informing different Mm. stakeholders on like how they should be operating. So, for example, when a user is referred or signs up to Naya's platform, they will basically self-declare um, how they identify and obviously it's a multi-select so we can factor intersectionality um, into the data and with that insight, we're able to then tell training providers and organizations you know, who is engaging with the opportunities through the platform, who's actually then making it through and securing jobs off the back of it um, and you can start to then break down which kind of demographics have more support um, and how we can obviously then um, close those gaps even more.
1: Wow, that's so cool. I feel like uh, data scientists and anyone who's into data with this could, could just have quite a good time with that kind of look. look Absolutely. Uh, into I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like you, your team probably geeks out on that uh, in, in just just in day-to-day. Um, yeah. Those reports as well sound super valuable for um, government. I'd imagine government want access to that sort of thing and learn a lot from it, right? Um, do you see much appetite for sort of work with government around this stuff?
0: Yeah, it's it's something that we've spoken about quite a lot as a team. Um, ultimately, a lot of the problems that our platform is tackling are obviously problems that there's
1: quite a department a in the open. government that yeah. we'll kind
0: of look at. Um, the the way in which I suppose we currently have a slight link to government is through the charities that we work with. So a lot of the charities um, that will use Nia's platform to support their beneficiaries um, would actually report into government around the number of people who they've trained and the number mm. of people who have found jobs off the back of their training. Now, so they, they have in, to track
1: their own impact, right, and then report that back. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah,
0: because they... So that then enables them to get funding from government. So NIA's reports will then be pushed to government bodies and um, to access that funding. However, yeah, we currently don't have a direct partnership. Um, it's something that we might look at down the line um, oh. But at the moment, we need to kind of get all of the other stakeholders and ducks in a line um, before we look at that kind of level of scale, I suppose.
1: No, of course. I mean, you've got a lot to tackle already and there's a, a lot of different sort of uh, plates spinning at the same time with this sort of thing because you're just dealing with so many different types of bodies as well. Um, yeah. Which, which is also an interesting challenge in its own right. It's kind of like, how do you deal with big charities versus small groups and communities and things like that? Like, I'm sure there's a, a different way to sell to each of them, to work with each of them, and so on, um, which is something I think that will be quite interesting to touch on maybe again a little bit later on in, in the episode. Um, so we'll, we'll come back to that one. Um, in terms of the, the, the kind of zooming out a little bit uh, more now and thinking about the market um, uh, the market problem as a whole, so you've mentioned how globally there is obviously 500, 000, uh, 500 million, rather, I'm thinking on local stage, 500 million people <laughs> <laughs> uh, that are underutilized. Um, and that—that's obviously an issue that needs to be to be solved. It's obviously costing the economy a lot of money, which is uh, an incentive for governments to kind of do something about it as well. Um, do you see, sort of, not just from the economic side of things, but from other sides of how this can cause positive impact, solving that problem? Um, what are the sort of, say, byproducts uh, do, do you get as as a result of solving that problem? What are the positive impacts? Do you make in the world by solving that, other than just obviously economic issues?
0: Yeah, it's um, it's funny because we'll look at obviously a lot of uh, social impact businesses will reference the UN SDGs to understand what impact they're having. Um, and directly there's uh, pieces around economic empowerment, um, equality, um, access to. I think it's access to finance or something along those Mm -hmm. lines there's a few that we're hitting very directly and then also partnerships with the goals um again because obviously the whole piece is around centralizing and unifying um but then when you think beyond that when we as a team talk about the objective and the reason why we do what we do so much of it actually is rooted in economic empowerment because ultimately if you're equipping people with the skills and support that's needed for them to advance in their career, then ultimately you are giving them access to finance, to stability, to shelter, to kind of life essentials. Um, so as a result, the the social impact and knock on effect that a platform like this could actually have um, are so far reaching. And obviously at the moment we're focused on a more local market. So on London and kind of within the UK predominantly, however, organically in the last couple of years our platform has actually grown to reach and touch um, individuals in over 50 countries around the world and wow. that has kind of proven to us that this is a great global problem it's a global mm-hmm. need and there are huge similarities um, between what unconnected people are experiencing here um, and in you know a lot of really low um, income and kind of poorly developed countries as well so it's thinking about how we could potentially expand into other regions. Um, and of course, then the impact that you're having just multiplies um, when you think about the level of access that some of these um, individuals may have right now.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. That, that's really interesting that it's very similar problems you get um, in sort of, let's say, more developed countries versus less developed countries uh, across the world. Um, was that surprising for you to find out? Or did you just kind of have a hunch that that would be the case?
0: Um, I don't think it was so much surprising um, in terms of their needs. I think the surprise more came with how organically that growth arose. Um, obviously, mm. some of the charities that we work with do have a, a global footprint, which means that, you know, naturally you would expect there to be a little bit of kind of um, messaging kind of passed on elsewhere. But in terms of actually seeing people onboarding from you know, all across the Middle East, um, across Africa, in the US. Um, it's it's just a, a reminder, I think, for us of the fact that we do want to scale this and we do want to have a global influence. Um, I think there's definitely more that needs to be done in actually understanding whether or not the local needs are different, like starting to mm-hmm. zoom in to kind of the ideal target user um in different regions. And we've spoken about a few. If you look if you consider Naya as kind of like a booking dot com for careers, for example, you know, booking.com started just with accommodation. Um, and then it added transport and taxi transfers, and then it added um, I think the, the latest flights one is like well. attra- yeah, flights, attractions, yeah. like all of these different things. <sighs> um and at the moment, obviously we're just focusing on the networking, training, kind of job pieces, the crux of careers. But we also know that there are add-on services and support that's really helpful so at the moment we're also in touch with a lot of other startups that are providing wraparound support in other ways so we work with like oyster and remote who are um help with employer records and um actually supporting people who are being employed overseas for example we work with some startups who are offering visa support and relocation services so there's a lot of extra areas that we know our users need. Um, mm. And it will just be a case of understanding whether or not those needs transfer outside of the local market as well. Um, as we obviously work out where we're going to scale um and how Yeah, of
1: course. Of course. Yeah. I actually was going to ask around that because that those are quite tough challenges. I mean, the the visa problems, for example, and things, uh, things along those lines. Um I've got friends who used to work, for example, with UNHCR and so on and, you know, working with immigration and refugees and and some of the problems can be quite tough. You know, if somebody has if somebody has no citizenship anywhere in the world, I mean, how do, you, how do you work with that? How do you support? How do you help, right? Um, and so, yeah, so, so the fact that you're partnering up with providers that can kind of support around some of those things as well and relocation and visa and so on makes a lot of sense. And I actually, I was going to ask whether you tackle those, but I thought maybe those are a little bit too big, um, have problems for you to solve for now. Uh, but it's great to see that you're thinking about those already and you're working around those already because obviously those, I'd imagine, would come up quite a lot.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, obviously, whenever any small startup steps out, you, you can't be everything to everyone. And it's really important mm-hmm. that we're aware of you know, what our roadmap looks like and what we want to deliver. But what we can do is obviously bring in people who are experts in different areas, um, which is, again, the value in the marketplace model um, in the same way that we don't deliver the training ourselves but we bring in and aggregate you know the best training providers so it puts us in a really good position to at least make sure that our users are connecting with the right services that do already exist rather than us just reinventing the wheel.
1: Yeah absolutely absolutely and that's yeah that's exactly it. Um, speaking of marketplace model have you found that um, fun challenge to be it's, it's uh, something I've got some experience with and um I I mean I'm not going to project my own feelings about marketplace models. I think they're fantastic, but they are very challenging to work with. So, how's that been for you?
0: Yeah, um definitely interesting, um but it always is, right? Um I prior to working with Naya, um I worked in other other startups that had marketplace models, so I'd kind of got some early insights um into what it looks like in different markets. And I think for us, we've been quite creative um, in terms of how we can make sure that we're scaling that supply and demand at the same point in time one thing that we've really learned is that our value sits in our user base Um, if we're able to effectively scale the biggest network of unconnected talent the value that we can create to employers on the flip side of the marketplace is exponential Um, and when we explain to organizations that we have this network and that obviously our AI tools will help to match them to relevant talent and all things like this. Um, actually, getting client demand isn't an issue, which is is a really great problem to have, but it means that we have to scale the supply side of the marketplace first. So there's a real focus on the user in terms of the product that we're building um, and capturing feedback. It really is user-centric. Whilst we have a B2B business model, we're all B2C people. Uh, we care about our customers and our users um, above and beyond the businesses that we work with. So um, ways that and we've got around about that. that is incredible. I feel like you have to be right. Um, and <laughs> yeah. also when we talk to clients and they understand that the whole platform is structured around this community, supporting these users. It also even helps us to get buy-in because Companies, um, especially like talent acquisition teams, are tired of using recruitment tools and job boards where there's not actually like an interest and engagement and loyalty from the individuals that are seeking opportunities. But because Naya is able to establish that and community is at the heart of everything that we do, if anything, it kind of feeds added value to the client. So, yeah, a few ways we've kind of navigated it, especially in the market right now where obviously there's fewer jobs um out there so um we have a lot of like scraping tools where we literally bring together roles from various different platforms and match that with the needs of our user base which has been really helpful in this kind of slower market period mm. um and also through the training so we have built partnerships with some of the biggest um sort of free skills providers huge enterprises um, who have effectively onboarded all of their free training resources onto Naya's platform. So having that repository of you know thousands of free training courses means that all of our users are able to access and kind of take real value from the platform, regardless of whether or not there's like immediate engagement from clients. So mm. we're not de- as dependent on that kind of perfect demand-supply-marketplace balance, um, that's, yeah, that's which has really, things. really helped, yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and for listeners who've not been involved with marketplace dynamics before or not sort of kind of don't fully understand uh, what this is all about, generally speaking, uh, and please feel free to jump in and, and correct any anything that I, that I say that may be inaccurate. But generally speaking, you know, you're going to have a supply side and a demand side. Um, and it, it's the sort of good old chicken and egg problem, balancing out the supply and the demand, um, figuring out who to get first onto the platform to then convince the other to come on the, on the platform and so on those are challenges that can be quite tough to work around and quite tough to solve. And so it sounds like you found a pretty good solution there by kind of thinking, you know what, we, we know we know what the ultimate value we're looking to provide is and for whom, and we'll do our absolute best to continue to provide that value, even if one of the sides of the market is not necessarily um, as active uh, as we hope, uh, for, we hope for them to be. And in your case, one of those sides happens to be um, obviously employers and training providers and so on, which in a downturn or, or when the economy is not as, you know, as as fun or or, or as exciting, um, then then obviously that, that that can sometimes cause some problems there. So, um, so yeah, very smart. It sounds like um, pretty incredible what you guys have kind of uh, put together there. Um, and speaking of the team, um, I would love to talk a little bit of, a little bit about the team as well. I remember we were talking a little bit, um, uh, sort of, I think it was like a couple of months back or something before Christmas, um, um, and, and we we're talking about how you know you you put a lot of effort and work to make sure that you have a really cool culture um uh, at the company i mean basically a culture that kind of where people feel like they can deliver the, the best work and they feel like they they sort of belong there and um, can you maybe talk to us a little bit about sort of team culture and so on and and again i know that you've got very uh, vast experience with startups and and the startup world in general and so feel free to pull on kind of previous experiences as well in this but just curious to learn more about how you kind of approach building a great culture internally at the company
0: yeah for sure um I think, I think for me, you know, the, the the culture piece is so important because ultimately it's what keeps people um, motivated in the day to day and excited about their work. Um, like if someone were to ask a friend, like, "Oh, do you enjoy their job?" Obviously, the the work part is is an element of it, but if they're not wrapped around with people that they enjoy spending time with, and they don't feel like they're working towards this kind of collective mission and part of a of a core team. Then essentially, you know, the excitement really, really fades. And through, I think, working, I think, except working in in different accelerators really helped me because, obviously,
1: you must have seen work, a lot of examples. Yeah,
0: right. Like when you're <laughs> you must have seen a,
1: some some interest. You must have load. some good more stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: exactly. <laughs> um, and I've seen some. Um, I've seen and, and, and worked in in some companies where the culture is honestly like horrific um to the point where you are desperate to get out of work at the end of the day and you're dreading it when you're going in in the morning um because and i and i actually think that it's quite interesting when you look at the kind of high growth startup rhetoric because a lot of that i think revolves around All grind, no fun, um, and can sometimes actually foster a really toxic workplace culture. Um, And I've seen that in the past. So I think then when it came to me actually, you know, starting my own business um, and dictating the culture that exists in a startup, I was like, I want to create a space where obviously people are super passionate, whether, you know, values align, where we're high growth and we've got really kind of bullish stats that we want to hit. people are still having fun and achieving that balance can be quite difficult um one of the main ways that we Mm. navigate it at naya is we have really um abstract i suppose rituals as a team and trying to i suppose make sure that we create the time and space for both hard work but also fun and bonding and feedback and transparency and i think that actually that transparency piece is what underpins everything that we're doing at NIA. Mm. so people talk about you know 360 feedback and how valuable right. it is but actually being able to create a workplace where people feel comfortable not only telling someone when they've done an incredible job, which obviously comes naturally to a lot of people, um, but also being able to really frankly turn around to someone and suggest improvements um, and areas where perhaps you would have done something differently. um, It it can be a lot harder Mm -hmm. and I think it's all deep rooted in trust. If you can create a culture where people trust each other so much that they know whatever is coming out of the person's mouth is in the best interest of that individual but also of the company as a whole then suddenly you find that there's not as much getting at sort of in your way certainly then everything that does get in your way is stuff that sits out of your control um but you as a team can then kind of move collectively um in a single direction so yeah, I'm not sure if I've wow. explained that very clearly. No, absolutely. But... I'm, I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna dive deeper <laughs> because this is so this is so interesting. And, and the thing is, it's very hard to do this. It's very hard to actually implement those things. Um, how do you build trust between a bunch of people who don't know each other who've happened to land on this mission that they're on at the same time? I mean, th- there is obviously that the fact that you're an, uh, an impact startup in some way helps a lot because there is that shared mission, right? Yeah. But 100%. Beyond that, how do you build that trust and especially how do you do it quote unquote up the chain of command if that makes sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah, um the the impact piece is definitely at, at the core of it and we had I mean to give you an idea, we had a session last week um again start of the year um where we all kind of came together um and basically we're talking about our why um you know why do you want to be building this company and you know why are you motivated every day to actually um you know try and support the communities that we work with um and Mm. by actually unsurfacing the kind of more gritty conversations um that's when you're able to start being really vulnerable with each other. And everyone says, right, the, you know, the best relationships are formed off of vulnerability mm. and you need to create a space, you know, where people, it's like psychological safety. I think especially in the workplace and where you talk about moving up and down a chain, you mm. need to create psychological safety before people feel like they can be vulnerable to then create that that trusting relationship. Mm. So that's why I think actually the rituals piece is, is super important because, it's the environment and the meetings that you set up as mm-hmm. a team. So, for example, every Friday, we all come together as a team and a lot of people laugh at this. They're like, what, you going to the office on a Friday? Like of all days? Um, okay. But every Friday... <laughs> are you,
1: are you, we'll come into that later, but are you part remote, I presume, then?
0: Yeah, yeah. So okay. um, well. the the most of the team come together every Wednesday in the office and then on Friday right. we get together, but... Not in a normal office setting, so uh-huh. it's much more kind of like laid back. Um, and a good chunk of Friday is dedicated towards us talking about, you know, what what's what's making you like mad at the moment in life. It, it doesn't even mm. have to be work related, but also outside of it. And we use the mad sad glad framework, um, but we encourage the, the, people the what? To, mad sad glad the framework. Got it. Do You know that? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It just it broke we'll, up a
1: little bit. I wanted to make sure that we get, we get the, the full sentence. <laughs>
0: yeah, um, but we're encouraging people to actually talk about life as well as mm. just like the what they're doing in the office, you know, nine to five or whatever. Um, and so then you start to build these kind of deeper relationships. Um, and because you're removing yourself from a more typical work setting, you kind of just see everyone relax a bit you know, mm. um, and it's a really nice way to end the week on a high, mm. you know, we uncover some of the challenges that people are facing, um, and we celebrate the highlights and then we all got our ways. Um, and then obviously reconvene on a Monday feeling like super re-energized and like, like there's nothing that we're holding. Um, mm. it just feels like, yeah, I no, guess. absolutely. <laughs> no, that's,
1: that's brilliant. And I, th- it's, it's just, it's one of those things where, a lot of people talk about these things, and I've, but I've, I've found from experience that I, you know I personally struggled to like building a great culture in a company is something that 's quite difficult to do and um, rituals what 's interesting is that the more and more um, the more and more examples I see of good cultures in, 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 in great companies, the more and more I find weird rituals i mean I was listening for example, to um, lex Friedman 's uh, interview with Jeff Bezos uh, a, few, a few days ago. And, you know, they do the whole, um, they do, for example, the whole memo thing. So before the meeting starts, people come in with a crisp document. So they, you know, the crisp document, messy meeting thing, right? Where they come in with a crisp document, really well written out, it's a memo. And everybody has to read it before the meeting starts, you know. So it's there, it's all very honest and very clear from the person. But then the whole thing about trying to let people who may feel as though they're not able to speak up when there are senior VPs, for example, in the room, letting them speak first and say their opinion first and making sure they're heard before they kind of move to different people. Um, and and there are th- things like that exist in pretty much every company that seem to have something around the culture that's kind of figured out. Now, obviously, there are many views out there about what the culture is actually like at Amazon. Um, whether it's the same in the office versus the warehouses, that's something... That Yeah, that's something that, that I personally don't know enough about, um, but I, I've definitely heard some things that suggest that it's not quite as as nice as it seems. But certainly in terms of being able to um, get to transparency, get to truth, quote-unquote, um, getting to that can be really hard in an organization where there are so many people involved and you know, people may not feel comfortable to say everything fully as they see it or as they believe it, because they're afraid that there might be a negative reaction or that there might be some negative consequences on the back of that. Um, And so doing stuff to try and and get to transparency and trust between team members is something that's vital for for every company. And I I think it's just something that's been, um, I've been thinking about a lot over the sort of the last few months and thinking about how to implement that and so on and looking at different examples of doing it. What you're doing sounds really interesting with that. The kind of Trying to allow people to feel as though you know you can be a human being, you can be vulnerable at work. That's okay, um, and and we're not like nobody here is going to be um, harsh for no reason or anything like that. This is a a, a nice environment where everyone can speak up and, and be themselves effectively. Um, that's really yeah, beautiful.
0: Yeah, I, I just on just on the whole, I guess being able to be yourself thing as well. I think. There is also kind of like a a line that you have to be careful sure. not to cross as well when it comes to vulnerability. Mm-hmm. In the um, so to give you an idea, we we did like a real big um, three sixty feedback piece just before the end of the year, um, and it took like a stop start continue structure. So literally everyone uh, contributed to one another's stop start continue. Um, and as you can imagine, it's literally the case of you being like, stop doing this, stop doing this, continue doing this. Um, yeah. And what we did is um, we actually distributed that sort of asynchronously. So silently, everyone mm-hmm. completed it. Then everyone had the opportunity to review all of the comments that they'd received um, themselves. It was in a shared document so everyone could read mm-hmm. everyone's. But you had the opportunity yourself to digest or- it wasn't anonymized no um and then the following day we then had a session that was dedicated towards people actually sort of zooming in and breaking down the feedback that they'd received and it's important to note as well that under every topic people also wrote their own feedback for themselves um so I would be like I need to start doing this stop doing this which always adds like an interesting um, layer of Absolutely. self-awareness as well.
1: Absolutely. The bl- blind spots come out, right?
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. But before we started um, the in-person session, we also made it really clear to everyone that it was it's obviously completely up to them which topics they have, you know, which pieces of feedback they've received that they want to zoom in, in on. And when we talk about being yourself you still need to create a space where people feel comfortable and different people have a different um willingness i suppose to be vulnerable and it's it's just it's It's just natural right um and the ask is kind of you know you can be vulnerable depending on what your definition of that is um in the same way that if someone was to Come in one morning, and we were doing like a poll check, like how we feeling this morning. Um, if someone I don't know said oh, I'm, you know, really not feeling great today, now someone that is really comfortable being vulnerable might be like I'm, I'm not feeling great today. You know, someone in my family is struggling with this, that, or the other, and might feel really comfortable telling that whole story. But someone else might not. Now, mm-hmm. the way that we would kind of tackle that is instead the ask is if you're saying Oh, I'm not feeling good today." If you don't feel comfortable exposing why, then just explain to the team exactly that. I, I'm not feeling particularly comfortable like to explain why it's a personal issue. Um, this is how best that you can support me. Now, without pushing someone to a point of feeling uncomfortable, um, and kind of, you know, tipping them over their threshold, you're still creating this culture where people feel like they can be honest and vulnerable and be themselves um, the and how they're behaving.
1: Aim, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Um, so it's not. We're not. We're not expecting everyone to like declare their greatest secrets um, and walk around um, behaving in exactly the same way by any means.
1: <laughs> no. That, that's great, and that's really good to hear because that sounds that that would also be a version of toxic if if, if anything really if that's yeah, pushed exactly. on people that's not very fun. So
0: um, yeah.
1: Let me let me push back a little bit on that because there are a lot of different viewpoints around this sort of thing vulnerability in the workplace and so on. Um, It's something that's in discussion that there are, we're moving more and more toward a world where there is vulnerability in the workplace and so on. Whereas if you look at how things have been for the majority of the past X number of decades, it's just like, you know, work is work, life is life. That stays at home. You don't bring your emotional life into work. You're just here to work and get things done and then go home and do whatever you want after that. Um, And also an element of, we need to be practical and grind and work hard and stopping and checking in. And these things are getting in the way. It's going to take up time and effort and so on. And we don't have the capacity to do that. We're a startup that's trying to get things done and work our backsides off to make sure we can achieve X, Y, and Z. So there is still a bit of a debate around that happening uh, online. It seems that the world is moving more and more in a certain direction, Um I would love to get your thoughts around what you think of that debate as a whole. And kind of, if I was to say, if I was to assume that I am a, um, you know, I'm on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, I'm expecting everybody to come in at 9am and leave at 9pm and do that six days a week. Okay. Um, and, I, and then let's say I'm arguing that I'm saying that that's more efficient. We're going to get more things done because we're working more hours and eventually we'll outcompete you, let's say, right? What would you say back to to that sort of approach
0: yeah um
1: i hope i'm not putting it on the spot but, but i think it's an interesting n- debate no no
0: no no it is really interesting because i've i've actually worked i've worked in a company where that is that that is the culture it you know we got in every day at nine um in the morning and we weren't allowed to leave until 11 at night and that was just oh the my expectation. God. <laughs> and i had no idea absolutely no idea when i signed up to the job i moved country for it got mm. there didn't know anyone in this country first day on the job um really young. i was like oh you know what does your day-to-day look like um sound a question and trying to make friends anyway this this guy turned around to me and said oh yeah we're getting on this time we leave leaving this time um and i thought it that he was me. joking i was like surely that's not it um but it but it really was and as a result i don't look back kind of fondly on that experience at all don't get me wrong i learn as you learn in any job um sure. but it's it, it actually put me off the whole industry um and wow it's yeah that that definitely isn't yeah, the I, way to go
1: <laughs> okay i don't want to put you yeah, in the go- spot so you, you'll feel free to say no but can i ask, yeah 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 can i ask sort of what sort of you don't have to give the exact name of the company or anything like that, but what kind of industry it was and what kind of sector it was. And you can say no, like you don't have to.
0: Yeah, no, 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 of course. So I was, I was working in venture capital,
1: um,
0: okay. which is obviously very interesting now as a founder, um, mm-hmm. as running a startup that is fundraising. Um, and it's also, I guess, giving me perspective in terms of like who I want to raise money from as well. Um, mm-hmm. And the kind of teams and individuals um, that I want to be supporting us in our journey. Um, so that's kind of one extreme and then on the other extreme I've also worked in a startup where there was this kind of expectation that your team is your family and Mm. you know work is you know not that work is life but um it's it's almost like the expectation that there is no divide between personal and professional boundaries
1: Mm. and
0: I also really struggled in that work setting and at the beginning it felt incredible because Mm. I was coming from that VC space um, and the other extreme and all of a sudden I felt
1: supported (laughs) and I was like yeah
0: I've got friends at work like yeah yeah, we socialize all the time at work and um, this is my life's purpose and everything like that and you you would think that I would feel that now even more that I'm running a business right like Mm. you know Naya is so much of my identity now but I still don't want to create that culture here either because um I don't think long term it's sustainable because people need to be able to have their own life and their own outlet because work shouldn't become everything whether it's um a constant grind or just uh you know somewhere to socialize and, and yeah you need to find that kind of place in the middle so
1: yeah and I suppose yeah. families tend to have problems so
0: exactly right <laughs> yeah like the whole thing is you can't choose your family um, yeah. and you need to be able to choose where you work so <laughs> yeah
1: yeah exactly um fascinating that you got to experience both of those things before starting that must have given you a lot of insight into kind of how to build a team and, and sort of what to look for what do you think of the idea that um, each founder will know what is the best way to work and what is the best way to do things based on their experience and what they've seen and they almost go and hunt for people that feel the same way or vibe on that same level. Do you think do you think that tends to be the case?
0: Yeah, 100%. Um, and it's difficult because I think in the startup space when you're when you're a really small team and when you're just starting out I think most entrepreneurs are like I just want to surround myself by my friends people that I really quickly click with who operate like me and it's it's kind of understandable, right? We're we're Mm. all human. We all naturally gravitate towards people like ourselves. It's just affinity bias. Um, But I wouldn't necessarily say that that is the right way. Obviously, Mm. the whole premise of of what we're building at Naya is that everyone should have um, fair access and a a fair shot. And as a result, the team that we've built is incredibly diverse, both in background but also in thought and the power in that is just huge um and I I mean above and beyond what goals we're achieving um and kind of like the map out of skill sets but even in terms of like when you're sitting around having lunch together you're actually learning about different cultures and different perspectives and it's just super refreshing and I think that a lot of early stage founders would really benefit from kind of opening their eyes to that sooner rather than later. I think a lot of companies will hit like, you know, series B and suddenly think, oh, actually, we should probably, you know, take a look at the diversity of our team. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Um, It goes back to that business case, right? Like we're not here to tick boxes. Um, It actually does make a difference.
1: So, from the examples that you've seen, I mean, you've seen a lot of different startups and uh, throughout your journey with accelerators and and VCs and so on, and and obviously what you're doing now, and um, you know, first hand experience. Um, what would you say is sort of like the biggest benefit? Let's 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 talk from the um, from the startup from the economic sense, from the kind of startup's growth sense, because you know when you're talking to uh, VCs or when you're talking to uh, investors, they will. Obviously, if they believe in the the mission you're doing that's that's a different story, but they will also want to understand you know why are you spending time on this? how does it help the business so um what would you say is kind of the biggest benefit of having uh, a diverse team and trying to to actually get that done early on
0: yeah i I think above anything it you know your 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 team should really be representative of the market that you're serving, and we have um in our team people who have very lived experience of of some of the challenges that um you know our, our users are facing and in, in just mm-hmm. the same way of like a big corporate company you know a, a corporate company that operates you know is headquartered out of london they when you think about the, the diversity that exists in in london's population like you, you should be reflecting that in your team it's taken companies mm-hmm. long enough to try and strike up like 50 50 gender balance but it goes so much further than that. Um, so, yeah, I think yeah. that would probably be the biggest piece of representation,
1: for sure. I guess you touched on a really important point there, and that is kind of having empathy. And if you're a startup and you're building out something for your customers, you ought to have incredible empathy for your users and who you're building for, because that's that's how you build something that they really want and they want to use and that they that will help them the most in whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish. So... In a way, also having that diversity on your team, it's almost like a like a boost to that to you having that sort of empathy toward your customers and end users as well.
0: Yeah, which then just is a boost to getting validation, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of validation, you mentioned your fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How is um um can is that something you're able to talk about publicly for now? Okay. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so we are we're fundraising from angel investors. Um, we're doing kind of a a bit of a pre seed bridge now, um if you want to call it that. I feel like the definitions of pre seed and seed I, are
1: I, they they move oh around all the time. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah.
0: Like you used to raise seed to find product market fit, but I think now you need product market fit to raise it. So yep. um yeah, we're raising from angels, um and we've we've had the privilege of being backed by angels up until this point um so we've raised just shy of a million us dollars so far um and that's a mix of thank you um yeah angels who have got experience like working in this sector um angels who have you know founded businesses before and exited ventures so can kind of support with that angle and then a huge number as well who are impact driven and just hugely passionate about the problem that we're setting out to solve um so yeah it's, it's actually been really great for us not just in terms of the access to finance um we now have natural advisors who obviously have our best interest at heart mm-hmm. who we can go to when we're you know facing any challenge in any area of the business so would really really recommend to any startup to be honest to really um, consider angels above VC, I would even go as far as to say Ooh. when you're early stage. Ah, um, interesting.
1: All right. Yeah. Now it's, it's getting um,
0: juicy. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's been great for us.
1: That's that's I actually it's funny because I hear that sentiment quite a lot um, from uh, from early stage startups that are saying, guys, you know, just guys and gals, of course, go and go and raise from from angels who really believe in your mission are going to support you. Um, throughout that as opposed to just going for institutional investment. Um, What do you think are the pros and cons? Because one, one of the downsides of having a lot of angel investors is a lot of people to manage. Um, A lot of, you know, when doing updates and then potentially a lot of questions to answer and so on, so potentially more time. Uh, a little bit of a messier cap table. Um, But of course the upside, like you mentioned, is you get to have a lot of advice and a lot of incredible people that believe in what you're doing. Um. What do you, do you see any other areas that you think are sort of pros and cons of going for angels versus institutional investment early on?
0: Yeah, I, I don't want to say there's a right or a wrong because Naturally, there are, yeah. yeah, there are obviously some, um, business models that are fit for, for venture funding. Um, yep. but Yeah, I I mean, in terms of the cons that you just mentioned, there like having a busy cap table um, and having a lot of people to answer to. We have, um, you know, a network of angels, some of whom are a lot more hands-on than others. Um, And I think ultimately, those who are hands-on, they they just want to help. So when they're when they're asking us questions, it's very rarely like a grilling um we very rarely need to like take ages like diving in stats to try and kind of like justify decisions or come back to them with answers in that sense and i think that's where our kind of monthly updates are really helpful to to angels kind of bring them along on that journey with them rather than leave them in the dark so they start you know just firing random questions our way and then one way that we have kind of navigated the messy cap table that so many um founders fear of is through um spv platforms um so bringing lots like mm-hmm. exactly um yeah bringing yeah. lots of investors in through like a single transaction just means that your cap table can be kept a little bit cleaner um yeah. but i think the there are obviously vcs out there that we think could be could be valuable to us and um when we look to our seed round probably towards the end of this year um we're certainly considering the VC route rather than just kind of doubling down, um, on like, you know, larger ticket angels, but it's also, I think working in the impact space, it's a really interesting ecosystem to have to navigate because on, on one hand, you know, the problem is so big and the team is so driven that we want to scale a, you know, huge business and, and we want to see that commercial viability there. So having worked, obviously, on the other side in BC and seen, you know, the screening criteria, there are, you know, massive parts of what we're building at Naya that would suggest that we are venture-backable. But then on the flip side, the impact piece is never going to come, it's never going to be sacrificed for growth because we wouldn't be doing what we're doing if we weren't having an impact and from our experience it's a lot easier to I guess make angels understand that than it is to make institutional investors understand that because ultimately VCs are reporting to their LPs right um yes they're taking risks but if they can mitigate that risk by going for a business model that they've seen validated in the market that feels safer then I think that's a lot a lot of the time, they'll yeah. kind of now gravitate towards that route. So mm. I think the type of business that we're running is what has really kind of dictated to us and proven the value of angels um, above mm. anything.
1: Yeah, and and obviously VCs are venture capital uh, firms, and or and, and LPs are limited partners who are the people that VCs will tend to raise money from. I've had some comments back from people who are getting into business and sometimes we throw terms around on the podcast um, yeah and sorry like, can you please help me no no i i do it i'm even i'm, I'm really bad at that um so yeah so I, i'm trying to sort of sometimes explain those things a little bit more just to everybody um especially aspiring entrepreneurs out there who want to build impactful businesses can also um learn from that so yeah, so limited partners uh, lps limited partners are generally the people that uh, these vc firms will go and raise money from and so VCs will answer two limited partners essentially, and and you know when they come back and ask, "What have you done with my money?" Uh, so hence the you were saying that sometimes they want to go for slightly safer bets and, and sort of make sure they can uh, maximize growth and so on. Um, but there is a there is a shift happening. Would would you would you would you agree with that? Definitely. Would you, would you say that there's um, more kind of conscious VCs out there nowadays? I feel like I'm seeing more and more, especially in Europe and the US.
0: 100% um, I mean I worked in BT back in 2019 so um, yeah um, now five years ago and definitely it's refreshing I mean I remember when I was working in the space turning around to a partner actually this wasn't at our fund it was at a different fund and prior to that I'd spent quite a lot of time working with um, various different startups um, across countries in Africa and naturally a lot of the startups that are being um, Built in Africa are using tech to tackle social issues. So a lot of social enterprises and um, coming coming from that landscape into the VC world. And I said to this partner, you know, have you explored social enterprises much? You know, mm. surely this is the future of business. Um, and I just remember it getting thrown back in my face, like, oh god, no, that's <laughs> like super risky. Like we have no idea um, what that looks like. But obviously, we are seeing impact funds popping up. and um, yep. something to kind of explore the only thing Mm -hmm. that I personally feel like I haven't done enough research into yet and I haven't had enough conversations to validate um, assumptions either way obviously we see a lot of big companies shouting about um, you know sustainability or diversity and inclusion and it's kind of a a tick box piece um, that's more focused on branding than actual impact and um, yeah because it will be interesting to see whether or not funds in this space um, are Mm -hmm. leaning one way or the other
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, certainly there are um, more and more funds that are being set up by conscious uh, sort of uh, partners and and VCs and so on uh, who want to make more of an impact and leave a more of a sort of, you know, make money but also leave a positive legacy behind um, um, in in sort of in real, tangible, measurable um, sense. Um, But then also there are others that kind of are, well, say on the back of certain you know, things happening around the world and saying, well, we ought to do something about this and launch a fund around this or that. Um, yeah. But certainly the fact that it's happening more and more is something that I personally view as very positive. Um, you know, I mean, that's kind of what we're all about here on on the pod is good for profit. I mean, there's no reason to, you can certainly give value back to shareholders as, as, a, as a business, and also do a lot of positive impact in the process. But you mentioned something really important earlier around that, which is that balancing these two things together and making sure that, you know, some things aren't sacrificed in the process. And I did want to talk to you about metrics and and, and so on and kind of how uh, an impact and how those things fit in together. Um, How do you measure, like, what is success to you? If, If you were to say, you know, if Naya makes this particular impact, then we view that as we've, we're certainly either doing our job or we've done our job. What would that be for you?
0: Yeah. Um for us that's that's uh the number of people that we have mobilized into new opportunities. So we, we talk about social mobility a lot, um, which is essentially the, the the extent to which someone um who perhaps has faced barriers to access previously, um, is suddenly able to kind of access them. That's that's what we look at as that shift. Um and so we have a pretty chunky, um and ambitious North Star of uh, connecting hundred million uh unconnected people to new opportunities through the platform. And those opportunities are Incredible. both sort of training, networking and jobs, anything that is helping to to mobilise them in their career. And then obviously around that we've got the revenue targets um and all things like that that keep the business um yeah rolling. <laughs>
1: Of course, yeah, of course. But you've got you've got both targets essentially within the business. Um, I mean that's that also is as a as a target. Certainly affects revenue, right? If you can mobilize exactly. more and more people into jobs, yeah. then you know everyone benefits. So it's 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 yeah. excellent.
0: They increase together, which is how you yeah. want it to be.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I mean there's 500 million people out there, so. You know, if you can help with a with a with at least that's only twenty
0: percent, right? Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly.
0: (laughs) So um that that's the first that's the first threshold. We'll see where we go. Of course.
1: (laughs) No, no, of course. I mean you gotta start somewhere, right? a hundred million is a lot of people, by the way, but yes, (laughs) you've got to start somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's incredible. Um how do you work with the team internally around metrics and, and I mean our metrics a big thing in in, in Nia in Naya rather sorry is, is that something you think about a lot internally
0: Yeah definitely I'm like the um I'm the metrics person I'm the one that um, structures <laughs> the OKRs um, so you're the one chasing that geeks everyone out on the data for, essentially
1: right <laughs> Yeah
0: absolutely and you know, there's nothing I love more than like beginning of the month setting out the okr spreadsheet you can imagine last week i then had the whole year of okrs to set out um, Wow. yeah so we have um yeah we, we work off of okrs and then we have um higher level kpis which i suppose are the core metrics that are always going to be important to us which is around like you know the volume mm-hmm. of users that we've supported so acquisition engagement um, same on the client side you know volume of opportunities all things like that And then every month we reset OKRs um, and they are then all kind of quantified. So um, just means then every single week. So on our Fridays, we review the progress that we've made towards those OKRs. um, And then every month we will reflect on the progress. And then we do like a bit of a session where we note down the highlights, the challenges, um, and then that will then feed our investor update. So it's important then, I guess, we want to make sure that every decision that we make in the business is data driven. I know that a lot of companies, yeah. you know, aspire to that, um, but it's been super, super important for us in making sure that we're that we're grounded and sort of moving in the right direction. Because, as we've already kind of touched upon, obviously this is a, a huge problem. Um, we're already serving you know a few thousand users, so there's a, a lot of information to absorb, and it's very easy to get kind of sidetracked. So if we can anchor what we're doing in our day to day to OKRs that will contribute towards you know, annual and then kind of, you know, ongoing objectives of the company then uh, just kind of keeps us on track, which is great.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And do you want to share a metric that you're really proud of, something that you hit recently that you celebrated as a team?
0: Yeah, um, so we've just surpassed 3,000 users on the platform, um, which is great. So that was actually on our MVP so um, once we hit 3,000 users on the MVP, uh, it timed out perfectly with the official launch of our product after our CTO came on board full time. So big celebration of that recently. Um, and the next target is we want to have 50,000 on the platform by the end of this year.
1: Perfect. That's great growth right there. I'm not going to calculate that in my head, but that's great growth. <laughs> um, that, that's super exciting. So data is obviously very important to you and you mentioned data driven being data driven um I, I want to talk about that a little bit so one of the things that i um that i guess i've been toying around with in my head um for a while now is when to trust hunches and intuition okay. and when to just absolutely demand that there is data that everything is data backed and data driven have you have you ever had a similar kind of thought process around this? Um, I, yeah. I could just be in my own world, just kind of you know, <laughs> <laughs> just wasting no, no, away no. on my on my Sunday walk.
0: <laughs> I I think that I I actually think that it's really important that you do still create, but it's more for like creativity, I would say, than hunches. So, mm-hmm. um, like one of my so I'm one of three founders. Um, Abnaya and one of my co founders is like the ideas guy. Um, and he'll, yeah, go for a walk or like walk into the office in the morning and he'll get in and he'll be like, I've just had the best idea ever. We need to do this. Um, and Brilliant. then obviously, you've got kind of like interestingly Actually, my other co founder is very strategic um, and kind of logical, and I'm kind of sitting somewhere in the middle. Um, and then that sounds like a great co- balance. My other co-founder will then just be like, oh, well, like, hold on, but but this is what we're doing. Um, like, this is the journey that we're taking and this is why we're taking this journey. And so, but it does create space for discussion as to whether or not you're, you're still running in the right direction. You know, yes, going can keep you on track, which is great if you're on the right track, um, but you still need to sometimes take a step back and think about the bigger picture to make sure that that holds true um so yeah like every week we capture ideas so whenever anyone I don't know listens to a podcast or is inspired by something or just has like a really small thought around something that we're doing for the users or one of the stakeholders um they then we basically aggregate those ideas every week um and then on Fridays again we look at the ideas that have been thrown thrown down and discuss whether or not it's something for us to explore. Um, whether it goes in the backlog, whether we bin it, or whether it kind of gets really quickly built into the roadmap. So there is still that kind of agility and flexibility within the confines of the data and OKR setting.
1: That's brilliant. I feel like uh, your co-founder and I need to have a chat and and just you know we'll we'll go on an idea magic train together. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, do you have an entire, Did you build out your own internal process to kind of? sift through ideas and and kind of like well some sort of ranking and kind of look through them and and figure out which to go for when and why and how and so on or do you just kind of do it on a more of an ad hoc basis with the team
0: yeah it's i'd say it's kind of work in progress um as i said it's obviously a, a weekly piece every idea will basically just be tagged to an area of the business um whether it's like tech growth um ops things like that um and then also will be tagged based on the stakeholder that it, that it touches um the good thing is is because we because we're so close to all of our users and we've made sure that we're always in a really strong position where we can get feedback and input from people that are using our product it means that if we ever have kind of doubts or queries and we will be able to go directly to our users and kind of get their input. So that's kind of the the general order of play, I would say. Um, mm. But it it kind of varies. You can't have a process for everything, right?
1: <laughs> no, no, of course. But I, I feel like based on what you were saying earlier on, the fact that you love data and whatnot, I feel like it's, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you might get lost down there and think, you know what, I'm going to create the perfect system to make sure we're ranking whatever. Um, I I personally know that it can be easy to get lost down that that rabbit hole but yeah, ultimately it's 80-20, right? (laughs)
0: 100% um, and yeah, I I actually also think that when you're early stage there is also like an element of what you do that that does just need to be scrappy um, and Mm. you you can't worry if you don't have process in place for everything because like I said, um, you know, I mean the amount of times we've pivoted it's ridiculous in the last few years like the the business that naya was incorporated as versus what the business is today it's almost unrecognizable with the exception of the anchoring wow. of the core mission so um yeah you That's you need cool to be cool kind to of hear. open to that
1: yeah am i right in thinking that YouTube started out as a dating site i don't know right i'm pretty sure i read That's that somewhere a-
0: that's a yeah, cool it, reference point. If that's true, yeah, we need to bring that up in our investor pictures.
1: Yeah, exactly. It, it started out as a, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is correct. And please, if somebody knows, feel free to let, to let me know. Um, I'm pretty sure it started out as a dating site where you effectively make a video and send it and say, Hi, this is me, and introduce yourself. And then
0: no other people can do the
1: same thing and you can kind of match that way. Yeah. And then eventually yeah. turn into YouTube. So, so there you go. So pivoting there is definitely a, 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 a natural part. So, Absolutely. Yeah. How do you how do you navigate that? How do you work around that kind of? Um, I guess it's easier to do when you, when you're a smaller team um, to kind of pivot and, and move around. Um, do you did you feel like whenever you needed to pivot, there was always buy in from the team and the co-founders and everybody else that okay, guys, we we kind of all need to pivot, and, and there's a general understanding between everyone that that is the right way, or was there a piece around sort of delivering that in a way to make sure that kind of there is buy in from from everyone?
0: Yeah, I I actually do think that there is a way of delivery. Um, because you also want to obviously make sure that the team are are really confident in the direction of the business and that they are really brought into it. So as I mentioned, um quite quite often as co founders, so the three of us will like come together and we'll um look at these bigger ideas and we're talking more, you know. The much longer term direction of, of the organization. Like when I said that booking.com structure, right? Like, are we even considering these other pillars? What do they look like? Because also that that's what feeds into investor conversations. That's what investors care about, the kind of longevity piece. Um and we will make sure between the three of us that we are that we're really aligned and really clear on what direction we want to go in and above anything why so that if there's ever a need to communicate a big change mm-hmm. with the team it doesn't come as a shock um mm-hmm. because and, and to be honest this has come from from learning so one of the first times that we pivoted why well, wouldn't so much say pivot it's more being kind of a it's always been quite a natural i guess transition so um for for example, when when I very, very first started, um, so this was in the the year one that I wasn't there, it was a kind of train, hire, deploy structure. So similar to Andela, if you know um Andela, basically mm-hmm. partnering with refugee charities, upskilling um people in tech, and then directly outsourcing them on like a consulting basis um to different organizations, mm-hmm. right? Validated the need for talent, the need for skills, training, all things like that. Um, but obviously it's not really scalable and it's a big problem we want to have a huge impact hence um, the shift to the kind of platform play so when we first started um, around the platform we were just focused on jobs Um, but over time we realized that we weren't actually really tackling social mobility because we weren't looking at training and networking and like I said earlier you know then you're at a risk of just reinventing the wheel we're just suddenly another job board that helps unconnected talent and it it's just helping businesses yeah. be like, oh, I'm yeah, yeah. diverse. So and there that's there it. isn't
1: real deep value being offered there. It's just, yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. So that's where we started. And then to suddenly have to tell the team mm-hmm. that actually we're looking at something much more holistic here. And we've now got these two huge other pillars that means that the tech needs to work more like LinkedIn um, and enable networking and messaging. Um and then to access soft skill training and hard skill training and you're adding a whole another stakeholder with all these training providers in um, it feels like a really really big change and we definitely didn't handle that in the best way i would say i think it came as a mm-hmm. as a real shock to a lot of the, the team members and they were then i guess unclear on where their kind of day-to-day tasks were fitting into that bigger vision so um mm-hmm in any of the kind of changes that have come subsequently we've made sure that when these really big ideas come about they're held until the confidence is there that we can actually go out and be like bright team this is what we're thinking what do you think you know getting their input so that they don't feel like they're just being dragged along um on that journey and and also get getting their input and ideas is is hugely important like like i was saying earlier you know they they, they all have their own touch points with different parts of the business um so yeah i would say the only kind Mm. of process there is just making sure that you're having the right conversations with the right people at the right time yeah
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that that's 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 really cool, and it, it's um it's amazing that you sort of tried that and learned from it um the first time around, and then kind of realized that okay, there is definitely a better way to do this, and you sort of yeah. trying that and constantly iterating around it. Um, yeah, because pivoting can be quite tough for for the team. I mean, often, um, and I know you mentioned earlier on about how you know the the business work is not your life. Um, but I also understand that as a founder. It, it's not that it's your life, but it's something you think about a lot, at least, right? Yeah. And and it may not be the same for um, other team members um, who aren't as you know they, they believe in the mission just, just as much, and they want to do everything just as much, and they work very hard and everything, but they may not think about it day and night like you do as as one of the co-founders, right? And so, being able to um, being able to to sort of communicate that properly and the thought process properly and making sure people are involved and you know you're not sort of skipping too far ahead without kind of illustrating why it is in, that you're moving in that way why, what you're thinking is definitely something that's, that's really really helpful to do because otherwise pivoting can become quite tough and people think well i thought we're doing that thing and now we're doing this thing and i've just created this whole thing for the last two months thinking move in a certain direction now i'm gonna have to think about it again or whatever so um so yeah really really important piece and then, of course, you mentioned you hired people for a reason. You know, they're clever people and so on. So getting the input is, is really useful. I guess one of the things around that, maybe I'm digging a bit too deep into process here, just just kind of curious to, to understand a bit better. But do you tie that into, do you kind of chuck that into the weekly meeting sort of thing? Or do you do like regular retros to kind of sense check? Are we moving in that direction? Where are we going? Or do you have something around that? Or is it more just, again... As and when it comes up, you know it's there. You feel it, and then you kind of work with it.
0: Yeah, so that's where the kind of end of month um, reflection piece comes in um, before, obviously, then you go into the next month um, sure. of planning. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll always dedicate the time for that reflection. Then,
1: really cool. So people listening who are looking to start things uh, and or, or early, early, earlier in the stage can certainly learn from all of that. Um, so we haven't. Um, touched very much on AI, and I really do. I want to talk about that uh, about AI. We said we'd we'll touch on that later, um, so I guess now is as good a time as ever. Um, you use AI internally um, in the company to provide matching for people with opportunities and and so on, um, but also of course there is the whole. AI doom and, and gloom that's kind of <laughs> um, around. Obviously, you get the prophets and the wizards. You get both. You get people that are very excited about AI and think that it will actually solve tons of problems um, in the world and that without it, we may actually end up somehow killing ourselves or something with, with our crazy weapons. And then on the other end of the spectrum, um, you have people that think that you know maybe it's moving too fast. Maybe we need to slow down. Um, maybe AI is, is going to be actually the thing that you know, ends up accidentally causing a lot of harm Um, First of all, maybe you personally kind of, on that spectrum of, say, profit to wizard, if we can use that terminology, um, where would you say Holly sits on that spectrum? Uh, And then we can jump more into the AI in in, in the startup as well.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, despite the fact that I obviously run an AI startup, (laughs) um, I definitely wouldn't say that I am an expert in AI by any means. Sure. Um, but I do think that our, our perspective on AI is quite interesting because obviously not only are we an AI enabled startup, but we're also directly tackling that issue around making sure that people are trained in AI and that, um, you know, job gaps that are popping up because of AI and automation um, on putting people at risk of unemployment. So um, I I kind of find it fascinating looking at shifts mm. in the market and the mm. way that it's starting to impact businesses and hiring um in terms of me actually being able to apply AI my <laughs> skills are limited to like ChatGPT <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean you can have a, an overview and understand the the bigger shifts in the market which I think is something you would need to to have as, yeah. a, as a as a co-founder but we, yeah the the actual um, coding AI or you know doing machine learning and so on. Leave that that's to not, our CTO. Yeah, exactly. Leave, <laughs> leave that. Yeah, <laughs> leave leave that to the 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 more savvy AIists out there. Yeah. Um. That, yeah, that's it's really interesting. You mentioned that you kind of you know the gaps that are popping up and everything, and and that you train people on AI to be able to make sure they don't kind of get left behind, um, so to speak. Yeah. Um. What what's been kind of the general uptake around that? What's been the sort of some of the way that you're trying to tackle that?
0: Yeah, so um, the, the the training that's kind of emerging around AI, there, there's a few different variations, I suppose. On, on one hand, you've got very basic, like, every day, how can people use AI to help them? Um, so there are a lot of courses that are on our platform that will help people to understand that. Um, in the same sense that one of the ways that our platform uses AI is we use AI to basically scrape... Um, to pull data from people's um resumes from their CVs to then also generate bios, um, which then inform like their yeah. career pathways. So in the same way, it's like if someone is applying for a job or preparing for an interview, how could they yeah. leverage Chat GPT to best prepare for that interview um and get like trial questions and, and you know, refine their answers and all things like that. And that's one example, but then there's also actual training pathways that will enable people to become specialists in ai so microsoft um are one of the training providers on our platform um and like they for example have uh i think it's an objective in the this of um upskilling <laughs> i want to say 10 10 million people in okay. ai um in the coming years so through the training programs that we provide on our platform mm. so um yeah there's That's a whole incredible. whole realm of training out there which helps i think to make people realize that it's not this, you know, huge, um, scary thing that they're never going to be able to understand anything about. If you start at the very basic level, um, even, you know, I could do (laughs) this.
1: Yeah. I mean, give yourself some credit. You're being very humble. (laughs) Um, I think it's, um, I think one of the most fascinating things about it is that we are all starting almost from square one with this new thing that's come on, that's come up and the opportunity here is incredible for anyone that can use a computer and type on a keyboard and talk with this thing anybody who can do that quite well has almost an equal of a chance to be able to get really good at this get really good at prompt engineering and get really good at using gpts and 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 working with them because um it's almost that you know if you because it's so new, there is tons of ways you can learn about it. There are so many like there's so many people trying to jump on the trend. Like, you can do this thing. You can command prompt in that way. You can do this thing on that way. You can do that thing that way. And the beautiful thing about it is the how accessible it is. Because um, it's just typing on a keyboard into a chat. Like, that's, you know, and, and obviously, that's the more basic side of it. Obviously, it gets deeper than that. And you can use APIs and do a whole bunch of stuff with it. That's incredible. But at least at a very basic level, um, you can learn how to use GPT to help you in so many ways now. Um, And and it's almost as though we're all starting from the same place with it because it's so new.
0: Definitely. And I actually think, I mean, that's one of the main reasons why we started by focusing on tech and data careers. So um, all of our training pathways and opportunities are tailored currently for people who want to pursue a career in tech and um, it's it it, I remember I visited a a refugee camp in Greece and I was running a session for um, everyone that that lived in this camp um, kind of opening their eyes to the possibilities of a career in tech and I think when you first hear the word technology it feels really inaccessible and obviously you do have the challenge of Actually, having physical access um, to, you know, internet um, and to some kind of device, and there are obviously charities and some of our partners that are tackling yep. that. But there is also huge opportunity in the sense that the volume of e-learning resources and training programs that are free and open to anyone that exist in the tech and data space doesn't compare to other industries. So providing people have that device, then we're able to actually connect them with, with the users and training to help them actually make their kind of first step in that path. Um, not to mention, obviously, as well, yes, AI um, obviously is potentially changing the type of tech jobs that are out there, mm-hmm. but there is still a growing demand for tech and data jobs. And also even from the remote perspective, um, when we consider the you know, geographical mobility um, and global requirements of our of our user base, being able to specialise in an industry where there are remote opportunities is also hugely, hugely important. So, um, yeah, all of those trends in level access that we're seeing in AI, I think, are also visible in, in the tech space more broadly, which is is really exciting. It's a really good chance to disrupt this market and really level the playing field.
1: Yeah, incredible. And I guess with that as well, um, I did mention earlier with access to a keyboard and definitely should be conscious that some people don't have that and providing that accessibility is very important. Um, but also the, the I, I mean, I'm aware by the way, and this is something we take for granted a lot in the West, actually. Um, we think that everybody has smartphones all over the world. That's just simply not true. Um, there are people that are still using Phones that can uh, call and text um, in in many parts of the world, and finding ways to be able to work with that as well is very important and support people that don't have access to the technology that we have um, so available is definitely very important. Um, providing people have access, like you mentioned uh, to those things and and finding these courses. I guess being able to find um, to have a platform or a place where I can find trusted sources of information. Uh, that I can use to actually upscale myself in some ways is really important. The other thing around that, though, um, I was going to mention, is around sort of qualifications and and that sort of thing. So one of the obstacles i imagine that can get in the way is how do you? I am a I am an interviewer uh, in, a, in a in a big company somewhere, and somebody comes in and says on the CV, I do this this this, you know, without having to go through a myriad of tests and so on. Um, how can I confirm or or be sure that? you know the person it actually has a, is qualified without the official qualifications so to speak is there a piece around that that you work on or that you do with sort of some of the charities and organizations that you work with
0: yeah that that definitely is um and i mean it's it's kind of an age old problem right um, yeah, well, yeah. in the <laughs> a, anyone can write a cv and i actually think it's become easier to um understand what qualifications people have now that we're all using technology in these e-learning platforms than it probably once was when people literally just had kind of a standard cv um the way that we kind of tackle it is because we don't offer the training ourselves it means that the majority of training courses that are listed on our platform do have some kind of badge or certificate um or verification attached to them um a lot of the time we're then well it's kind of two-parted so at the moment a lot of it relies on um, actual upload of of certification and proof from our users that then is held in their profile and it means that employers can not only search for certifications and then find talent but equally when they're actually hiring someone they can obviously refer to their profile for kind of validation Mm -hmm. does still beg the question of whether or not people might upload certifications that they haven't completed onto their profile. Um, So the other way, longer term, um, and we can only do this with a couple of providers right now, is obviously through APIs and integration, um, which means that their certifications are validated by that provider and hosted on Naya's platform. Um, It's also interesting Mm. though, from the Mm. employer's perspective in Mm. that I have actually been, I suppose, surprised at how many like talent acquisition leaders and and teams that we've worked with and that we've spoken to, actually, that's not so much a priority for them. I think, Mm. you know, from the interview process and their own internal assessments, they're obviously testing for the specific skills required for that given role. And a lot of HR teams now have enough confidence in their own testing that they can verify that skill set independently and I think a huge reason for that is that there's growing pressure on organizations to for example not just hire from like Russell Group universities and to not Mm -hmm. just hire people with a first and Mm -hmm. when you're taking away the ability for them to just lean on a degree and like an indication of someone's intelligence and ability to do a job suddenly there is the expectation that they would have to actually develop their own testing in-house um so yeah there's that's a bit of insight
1: (laughs) yeah no it's it's fascinating i mean what i guess it's it's wonderful that within the tech world it's quite easy to do these tests um i know there are many refugees who for example will um will have come to the uk who are you know um, incredible heart surgeons back where they come from, but the qualifications just don't match the same system and therefore it's completely yeah. discounted or it just, just doesn't get accepted. Um, I guess one of the beautiful things about tech is that, well, it's pretty easy to prove whether you can or can't do something using somewhat simple tests without having to actually do heart surgery, for example, right? Um, yeah. So so that, that that's incredible. Obviously, there are deeper problems with the fact that that happens because, you know, th- there are, Incredibly talented people that aren't that, that could be doing incredible things that are just not being recognized for it, and, and it's quite it's yeah. quite fascinating that we haven't figured out a way around that. Um, but hey, one step at a time. So you're yeah. you've got, <laughs> <laughs> so you've got the uh, you've got the Naya stamp right effectively with with the profile. So people that go through your platform, you know, employers can be sure that um, at least they're going through the providers that, that you've got and so on, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and one day that will be even more so. And you mentioned career pathways, something that I'm really interested about. And I'm really curious to learn about the role that AI has to play with career pathways. Um, one of the things that I would have loved to have at university would have been, you know, a, a career companion uh, that kind of just helps me figure out what it is that I want to do and, and how to navigate my career pathway and so on, and how to build up potential career pathways even and, and kind of think about those. Um, and I can definitely see AI and, and kind of big data and so on playing quite a big role in that. Um, I feel like that might be something... I mean, you mentioned Career Pathways already yourself. So um, I was going to say that seems like potentially a natural progression as well at NIA, uh, But it sounds to me as though you're already kind of thinking about some of that stuff.
0: On the, on the Career Pathways, um, we actually already have them up and running in the platform, um, albeit a very kind of early iteration um, of what we've kind of got designed and, and ready to come in the coming months. So um, essentially the way that it works right now is, as I mentioned already, a user will sign up to the platform. Um, More often than not, they will upload a CV if they have one or they're able to kind of flesh out their their skills in their profile. Then the first port of call is is using AI to then generate their bio um, and the users are also able to start feeding um, their career pathways by actually telling their, if that's what you'd call it, um, what kind of job they would dream of having. Um, and it could literally be anything someone could say I want to be the CTO of Facebook Um, and depending on um, the role, the seniority, the industry, the type of organization um, that that company is um, it will then help to kind basically break down what kind of role that person aspires to hold at some point in time and then it will take based on their profile and their existing skills and where they are today against um, the kind of longer-term skill requirements that are needed for not just that job at some point in time, but also the career steps to to get there, so kind of natural progression. Um, and at the moment, our career pathway will then match them to what the most relevant training is, so all three training programs. Um, the biggest advantage is that it's obviously multi-vendor, so rather than an individual just going on to like one training website um, and completing whatever courses they think is best will be pulling from different places so it might be that you start off by doing um, an entry-level course from IBM for example they have a lot of free training um, and then you specialize and do one from Salesforce and then one from AWS because you need to have both of those kind of you know skill sets to then keep going in that career Um, and then it will also weave in job recommendations so that's what it is today Um, we the next phase of development is looking also at like salary expectations um, and also making sure that because there's a lot of people that also don't know what job that they want and obviously that that is okay and we need to make sure that the tool is also designed to offer recommendations of roles based on what we're seeing as demand in the market so if there are skills gaps right now in a certain area then obviously that means that it's going to become easier for someone to break through and find um, you know, a well-paying job in that field. So based on their skills and those gaps, it might then start by offering, have you thought about this, this option, this option, this option, this option? Um, and it's basically kind of like a mind map. Someone can then select on one option um, and see what their career pathway would look like in that sense. Um, and also then starting to weave in the networking piece and the mentorship and the events. So currently they're held on a kind of separate area of the platform, um, but also bringing people into like group chats of other people that are on a similar stage of their journey and then connecting them to a mentor of someone who is perhaps two steps ahead um, on a similar kind of career path. So yeah, just, I guess, trying to be that career advisor that so many people don't have access to.
1: Gosh, that sounds incredible! You're basically building the the ultimate kind of sort of career super app um, that I've always dreamt of having. Uh, which is <laughs> which is fantastic. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, I I have to be honest. I haven't played around with your platform much. I need to go in and, and just explore it and play around with it a lot more. Yeah, please still, do. It sounds so cool. Yeah, it sounds it sounds incredible. Um, plotting career pathways as well is just something that sounds really fascinating. And I guess. Um, the more and more data that you can collect as well and that you can have on how people have successfully navigated certain career pathways, the better informed the AI becomes over time, right, on yeah. how to recommend and suggest and so on in the future. And that that in itself as well is just incredibly powerful.
0: Same with the training programs as well. So um, a lot of our training partners, so they'll pay to use the platform because they also want insights into how many people have got jobs after completing certain training pathways and certain training programs because it then enables them to refine the curriculum um, and obviously optimize that for the end user.
1: That's incredible. So AI uh, is going to be helping quite a lot by the look of it, which is great. So there you are, there we are. Um, I suppose AI can also be thought of as just automation, right? It's uh it's just again algorithms that are automating and making things easier and better, and 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 making computers and software more powerful and more advanced to deliver deliver more benefits. And so, um, yeah, done done for the right reasons and and and, and done properly. Then then yeah, should be uh, should be pretty good. Um, I wanted to ask you um, around uh, you just mentioned sort of the the uh, training providers and so on. This may be a little bit kind of extrapolated from from the world you're in right now, but just kind of curious to, to hear your thoughts, given that you're so involved with this world of career pathways and training and so on, universities and, you know, traditional education and so on. Um, is, that, is that something you think about at all, just in terms of kind of like where it's going, where it could go, where it might go, how it's affecting any of this stuff and, you know, not to... Not to um, N- not not to be too on the nose but you know how necessary is it in some cases and so on um yeah curious just here do you ever think about that at all or is that something yeah, you are used to focusing on kind of the what you're into right now
0: yeah i think it i mean it definitely sits kind of on the periphery of the of the world that we're we're operating in i think obviously in in the tech and data space as we've said you know there's so many different training courses out there that the hope is that actually people who perhaps don't have access to you know strong school systems um and like higher education institutions would still have a good opportunity um at kind of thriving in a career pathway i think obviously it varies from sector to sector um i can't imagine that um yeah training in like as a doctor or a dentist or a vet is gonna quickly jump on online anytime soon i also think personally i have um i've had quite a I held quite a strong opinion around the kind of education um sector just from my own experience, in that I was always someone through school who really thrived in kind of more active learning environments. So the I chose to go to university um but only under the kind of premise that I would do a very specific course. Um so I did there's a business administration course that I did at Bath University and it was very hands-on in the sense that it was a four-year program, but you spent lots of time in work. So you had um, more than one work placement. You also had the opportunity to go and study abroad. Um, and so despite the fact that you're obviously completing a degree, there were so many different elements along the way that meant that you were able to learn and apply that learning to kind of a different setting. And, and actually, I did the study abroad piece and I studied in Canada and they have a completely different approach um to education, which was brilliant for a mind like mine, um, in that it was all active. It was all around like contribution, presentations, actually thinking about the the business application to like real real examples, engaging with local business owners, running projects for them. Um so I think that that there's definitely going to be a time probably quite soon where there'll be a real shake up in the space. Um Hopefully, it just means that from NIA's side, um, you know, obviously it, it's giving more people access um, to, to really great quality education because it, it is the biggest mobilizer. Hence, why we're we're now so focused on making sure that the training is a part of what we're offering.
1: That's really incredible. I'm very happy to hear that because <laughs> I do think that the education system can do with a with a lot of changes. I, I do have also personal um, thoughts around that in that I think it can be done a lot better um, to cater for different types of students and, you know, different levels of energy. And, you know, some people are more hyperactive than others. Some people are less hyperactive than others and so on. And this one-size-fits-all with age grouping and a whole bunch of things around it, to me, it's just, it just seems a little bit archaic. Um, yeah. and, and I'm really happy to hear that, you know, things are slowly shifting. And I've always kind of just... As a, as a thought experiment kind of thought, what if the government decides, all right, we're going to pause education for two years or something, okay? Sorry, but, you know, a bunch of you are not going to have school for two, <laughs> for two years. And spend that time just completely rethink the whole thing. So bring all of the, somehow figure out how to work with all of the staff and all of the organizations that deliver, you know, all of the councils and so on. Get them together to somehow figure out what are the problems? How can we fix it? What sort of better models can we come up with? Because it feels to me as though they're too busy delivering the current system and they don't have enough time to think about how can we make it better? So if we just pause it for a couple of years and just kind of, obviously it's unrealistic, right? But that's why it's a thought experiment. (laughs) (laughs) That's also also why I'm not working on an education board or anything like that. Um, Yeah. But But I've always just kind of thought, you know, if we did do that, I wonder what sort of process or approach would come up with, what system would come up with. And I wonder whether it would be similar to the one we have now, or whether it would be uh, quite different.
0: Yeah, I I I, feel, I also think you know you need to. It's all well and good getting the people who are delivering the, you know the the teaching and everything together, but also bringing not only students but people who perhaps haven't had the best experience in the education system, and actually bringing them into the conversations and understanding. Why our education system isn't serving them and what their ideal would look like. Because, you know, you even look at the difference between Gen Z and, and millennials. And when we hear um, HR teams talking about the differences in, in hiring and how they're actually engaging um, these kind of different age groups, it's crazy how, how the kind of the, the differences and how they're attempting to tackle that as an organization and businesses are forced to constantly evolve because without that evolution they're suddenly going to see their talent pipeline run dry whereas because of the way that it's instilled in you I mean certainly here in the UK that you're going to work your way up through some kind of education structure right it it, it means that perhaps you're you're not as open to other options I mean I, I went to a good grammar school or be, uh, you know, a public school, but it, the the expectation was that everyone went to university. And I remember turning around to my mum and dad and I was one of those annoying kids that said that they were going to be an entrepreneur from day dot. So I turned around to my mum and dad and was like... I was How did like, that go down? <laughs> well, actually I, I really well. Um, <laughs> okay, good. Incredibly supportive, but as in they were kind of okay. like... I said to them well I want to start my own business so why do I need to go to university um and my mum and dad were like you know it's, it's it's up to you what decision that you make um and, and that's why it got to a point where I was like I'm only going to go oh, if I go to this one course, course because I know no, that the- that's going to be really good for me um but with the school there was never any question as to whether or not I was going to go to university and again that's that's obviously speaking from a from a grammar school so um there is more of an emphasis on um, you know academics than there is. I know in in some other state
1: schools. Um, but. So I mean, I've done quite a lot of work with schools over the years. Um, state schools, uh, independent schools. Of most of the southeast, have covered independent schools and and, and spoken with them and so on in previous jobs. And um, I mean, th- let's look at the most basic thing. There is not a. I did. I didn't come across a single school that doesn't look at how many. Um, how many of the uh, graduates from you know, college, sixth form, end up in Oxbridge.
0: Yeah, um, exactly.
1: And what percentage end up going to university and what percentage don't. And so th- there is definitely a big pressure in terms of how their success is measured through Ofsted and otherwise um, around, you know, well, how many of you end up going to university and which university? Are they Also, group? Are they top unis and so on? Um, but, you know, apprenticeships and other pathways have a big role to play Um for a lot of different types of learners and 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 a lot of different professions, and it's just, um, yeah, I, I think it's it's slowly shifting, but you know, it's it's quite interesting to see that that's yeah, that it, it it's quite a big piece with schools is you know how many end up in uni, and that's seen as like the. the it's selling the definition, point, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, it's like their definition of what the right path to a career is, and that's mm-hmm. the whole thing that needs changing because if you change the definition, then suddenly. People don't feel like there's a right or a wrong. And instead, someone's journey is based on, you know, what, what they personally want and, and need. What is
1: the best way to get there, for stop.
0: Right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, we talk about it at all the time when we look at like the competitive landscape and the. whilst there are tools that are out there, one of the, the biggest challenges and unmet needs is this personalization element and this, you know, moving away from this one size fits all for careers. And enabling people to actually, you know, craft their own path and whatever works for them. Mm. It's, yeah. Wow. I could talk about it for hours. <laughs> no, <laughs> but
1: it, but it, and it's incredible. And I could listen to you talk about it for hours because it's such an incredible mission and something that is actually quite close to my heart. And so I'm so happy to see that there is a company out there and a group of people that are so enthusiastic and just willing to go and, and you know, grind and do what needs to be done um, in a positive and an amazing way by the sound of it as well, by the way, uh, even internally as a culture and then just to kind of solve that problem. Um, and speaking of that, I wanted to ask you, you know, what is, what is your personal why you could be working in climate, you could be working, uh, you could be working in private equity or whatever, and making a lot of money. You could be doing so many things right now. Why this problem in particular? And, you know, why is it close to your heart?
0: Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting because I, I've, I've always gravitated towards people causes, Like social impact specifically for me is so exciting, like ripe for innovation, but it it just motivates me more than anything. Um, And whereas sustainability doesn't in the same way, and don't get me wrong, obviously, there's a lot of people who look at impacts as a broad and be like, yeah, I don't care what I'm doing, providing I have an impact. But for me, it's like, I want to be changing people's lives um and i want people to feel the impact um of what i'm doing um day in day out and specifically like how you can actually use tech to do that um, um i think that it's actually i think quite deep-rooted um so in the way that i was saying that i didn't necessarily kind of thrive in school i mean don't get me wrong i still went to a grammar school because i was pushed um yeah. but i always enjoyed like I used to volunteer so much outside of school and Mm. just loved talking to people like when I was a tiny tot my parents would laugh because I'd be like making conversation with strangers and I've always been fascinated by different people's backgrounds and I think as a result of that I had the privilege of getting very close to people from all walks of life and you know actually seeing the, the different challenges that people face and, and the lack of equality that exists in this world and how relatively, you know, I've come from a, a good working class background, but had the support of a family, a roof over my head, a good education, and and how that has actually enabled me to be where I am today. And mm. I actually, I was talking to someone the other day um, about that there's one book that I always use to, to reference which is, it's not how good you are, it's how good you want to be. And my mum bought me this book when I was younger and I used to refer to it as like my pocket guide And And it wasn't groundbreaking at all, like the book itself, but it was just that one statement for me as someone who perhaps wasn't like the top of my class um, in everything and I didn't really know what I wanted to, to do. I was like great but you know i can be as good as i want to be so i'm just going to keep on getting better and better and better and that served me really well and it still does now in terms of i guess the my work ethic um, and the way that i operate day in day out but i've realized that obviously not everyone has the same thing in their hand so it's all well and good saying it's not how good you are it's how good you want to be but it's easier for some people to be as good as they want to be so that inequality is what just drives me because I don't want people to feel like there are external barriers in their way and I want them to feel like they have control over their path and you know people not everyone has that right now um, and that's what needs to change
1: that's incredible that's such a beautiful note to end on but there is something I really want to talk about <laughs> Go on, go on. <laughs> part part of me would love to just be like, "This is let's stop here because that, that was beautiful." Um, and yeah, what what a mission. I mean, it, it, there is a there's a Latin quote that I love. Um, it's I, I'm gonna butcher this: uh, "Materiam superabat opus." I think is how you pronounce it. Um, and um, maybe I'll send you something about it, but it's yeah, very very similar kind of thing in the sense that what it means effectively is your where we come into this world with certain material. Um, So uh, we come into this world with with certain things that we have genetics or otherwise. And it's not necessarily that that matters, but what matters more is what we do with it and and what we achieve with what we're given effectively or what we have around us. And um, yeah, so it's not how good you are, but it's how good you want to be. Uh, But what what you're also changing is that you're just helping everyone kind of get better material to begin with, which is incredible. Um, I really wanted to ask you just because it's something that that I would love to talk about, even if briefly. It's just you know you could have done this as a charity or a not for profit um, instead of a business, and and you've got experience with with non profits as well, right? Um, why did you choose the path of doing this as a business as opposed to doing it as a as a charity? I it was it,
0: pure... it could be
1: non intentional as well. By the way, you, that, that's a perfectly fine answer. I mean, yeah,
0: no, it very much was intentional. Um, and it's, it's not to do with like, I think a lot of people assume that when you're building a for-profit business in an impact space, it's because you're motivated by money. Um, and that, that's not the case at all. And nor is it the case for either of my co-founders, um, and certainly the team. For me, it's more, if you build a commercially viable business, and a company that can scale sustainably that on its own and doesn't depend on you know donors mm-hmm. and and fundraising and, and everything like that then your ability to touch more lives is is obviously it then becomes limitless and you know i, I mentioned earlier 500 million people yeah we're talking huge huge numbers here this is like systemic issues that need to be completely shaken up um, and looked at in a completely different lens and by building a profitable business it means that we're actually creating a platform to to do that and and to have that impact there's one quote and i always absolutely butcher it and i and i feel like i need to research it and work out what it is because i reference it all the time (laughs) um but it's something along the lines of like you donate a pound to charity and it has one life but Mm. you donate or invest a pound into a organization that has the impact of that charity and suddenly the life of that pound goes on and on and on and on because it's the way that your business is designed um so yeah that's why it's like all well and good if we we make a lot of money and we're a unicorn obviously i'd love it it's a great story to tell um but to be able to impact that many people it's got it's got to be this way
1: incredible well i thought that the previous note would have been the perfect note to end on but it sounds like (laughs) there's a a, just an equally good note to end on (laughs) as well um holly i wish you the absolute best of luck um not sounds like you don't need it but i wish you it anyway. Uh, with reaching the, your goals of helping 100 million uh, people through the platform um, and everything else that you set your mind to. Thank you so much for making the time today and coming on. It was such a pleasure to have a conversation with you.
0: Thanks so much, Mo. Time's absolutely flown. It's been a real pleasure. Really Thank has. you. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm, glad, I'm, glad, I'm glad it's a two-way thing. Thank you very much for coming on and yeah, wish you all the best of luck with the future. Cheers. Thank you. That was Good for Profit with your host, Mo. Thank you very much for listening. Support us. Please like, share, subscribe, and send it to whoever you think will benefit from this episode or will be interested in listening to it. We are, of course, in the early days and we're trying to grow the podcast. And so every share and every like and every comment does go a very long way for us. So thank you very much for listening. And if you have any feedback, Please let us know if you'd like certain topics covered or if you have entrepreneurs or investors or ecosystem leaders that you'd like to see on the podcast, feel free to get in touch with us. The link will be in the description below this episode where you can leave feedback and also get in touch with us to let us know if there's somebody you'd like to see on the pod. Even if you have no direct connection with them, just let us know and our team will get on it to try and get them on here. Thank you very much for listening once again and hope to see you in the next one.